This is One Heat Minute. Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. What's your name? Wayne Grove. Look like gangbangers working the local 7-Eleven. Robbery homicides take you. Give me all you got! Listen. Give me all you got! I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. I'm trying to stop guys like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's L.A. crime opus Heat, one minute at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to One Heat Minute. I'm your host, Blake Howard, and joining me is an absolute phenom of a writer, a former guest on this show that by popular demand and people saying that they loved him and didn't know how we knew each other, um, demanded that he become a part of the show once again. We are at the 141st minute. We are on the downhill slope of this movie, and I was desperate to talk to this guy again. He is... Uh, a staff writer for Paste Movies, um, but you can see his stuff around the place at some huge publications. The New York Times, Slate, Village Voice, Rest in Peace, and NPR. Please join me in welcoming back Mr. Kyle Turner. Kyle, welcome back to One Hit Minute. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm, I'm very excited. Blake has turned me into a bit of a heat lover, so <laughs> I, I'm, I'm glad to glad to be back i'm so it's such a great latent benefit of this show is occasionally i'll be on twitter you know weeks after we did our episode and kyle's like talking about heat on twitter and i was like this is my dream like this is <laughs> this is my dream that mm-hmm. people i love following on twitter just start espousing heat and telling everyone that they need to see it and it's a great movie and uh, and, and they're doing all the hard work for me essentially which is great keeping keeping the message out there which is awesome yeah, I've I've turned a little bit into one of those people that recommends he and recommends this podcast to other people. Oh, thank um, you. And I and I did not think that I'd be the kind of person to recommend Heat because I, I said in the last podcast that I had very strange encounters with people who do like Heat, and I was very skeptical. But now now I've seen it a few times. There you go. You, you're you're here. You're you're with us. You're one of us. I think that's what yes. this podcast hopes to do is to dispel that that heat has to be for a certain kind of crazy black hat apologist on the internet, you know, like, um, <laughs> um it, 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 heat is, heat is a great film. And I think we've put it through, we've put it through its paces and we're going to put it through its paces today. Um, with Carl, for the folks who don't know, it's the 141st minute, which is on the original theatrical cut, not the definitive edition. It might just be second out of that one. It is two hours and 20 minutes on the dial when you're checking it out. And this minute immediately preceding this minute, we're seeing Vincent Hanna, Al Pacino's character, basically do a bit of a round-robin ring-around because he thought that he had Chris Chehalis in his clutches and based on some really poor, you know, acceptance of a fake ID at a, at a road stop in Venice Beach, you know, Val Kilmer gets to, to, to evade capture. He checks in on um, the hotel to see if Neil showed up. He checks in on Wayne Grow. He's done those things in the previous minute, and now he comes into this minute. And this is Vincent kind of, you know, we've seen it it, it really high with um, De Niro and Edie looking like they're about to go off right off into the sunset with nothing else happening. Um, and then we've got Vincent here just basically thinking, Neil's gone. That's it. There's nothing left. And it's a great little minute, a lot of business, great performances. Can't wait to talk about it with Kyle. We're going to have a watch of it together right now. You guys are going to listen along, and then we're going to come back and talk about it. You know what? Neil is gone. Bang! 
flying like a bird. Come on, Vincent, how do you know? We still got bait. Maybe some time. Got, got, what do we got? What do we got? Bon voyage, motherfucker. You were good. I'm going to the hotel. I'm gonna take a shower. I'm gonna sleep for a month. It is, there's so much going on in that minute, and I love, you know, it's it's like every single time they've thought they've been a step ahead on this guy, and in this last, you know, this last stitch effort, he's, he's, he's leading bait out there, he's doing this, he's doing that, and right in this moment, he's like, they're all gone. It's, 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 pretty, it's pretty bleak for poor Vincent here, you can't help but feel bad for him. Yeah, I guess one of the things that was crossing uh, through my mind, I, I rewatched this scene a couple of times in preparation, is to what degree does Vincent actually believe this? It, how is he disappointed? Is he heartbroken by the prospect that he has effectively uh, lost this person? Um, and I think there's something very contained about Pacino's performance here. You see him, the very first frame is like, he is this large object and there are squares all around him and it's as if he feels claustrophobic from that. Yes. Yeah, he's 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 like a cent he's in the center. He's in this flux. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, uh, concrete Swiss cheese, very organized Swiss cheese behind him and he's just mm-hmm. this big he's like in the in the frame looking centered and I don't know, it feels like everyone it, it feels like you see this on it's like a look. Maybe it's a, like a leading indicator look of what you what what happens in Pacino's career when he goes off to do any given Sunday with Oliver Stone. Like you see this look on mm. sports coaches' faces where all their well laid plans just go to hell. <laughs> like nothing, mm. none of their mm. preparation works. They've mm. spent this whole, they've spent all this additional resources and money in trying to capture these guys. And and I think here is where like there's a there's like a. a it's like the collective weight of knowing that they let these guys go to get them on mm-hmm. this big score and now they're gone. And not only are they gone, they've shut up the whole town and the weight of all mm-hmm. the failures just feel like they're coming back around to Vincent. They're just coming back around and he's like, Neil is gone. Bang. Does that, you know, he has to do a little bit of drama yeah. and then he, and then he's just done. He's got no more energy mm-hmm. to be fired up. He's got no more energy to be bouncing around and checking in all these guys. He's like, no, it's over. He's slipped the noose. It's over. Yeah. And he says that he's going to go sleep for a month. This is Bon Voyage, <laughs> motherfucker. Um, and I think what's interesting to me is that even in that burst of outrage, it still seems fairly contained, especially in comparison to other moments in the film. Yes. He's not... He. It's as if he's a little bit deflated. Yes, very. And even in the... There's a great... The, the exchange that I was really looking forward to talking to you about is... You know, Casals, um, West Studi's character has has like in most of the other scenes of the movie been very centered to, been very supportive, and there's no mm-hmm. desperation. It's just very knowledgeable, matter of fact, and good. 
And in this mm-hmm. moment, because, and that's like Vincent's method, right? It's like they're always, they can, they've always got an opportunity to fix this. There's always this opportunity to mm-hmm. in, you know, improvise. And with Casals, this moment, when he says, nah, he's gone, Casals is like, no, we've still got bait. And there's a look that Pacino gives him. He sort of purses his lips, sort of squints and goes, like, really? Like, really? Mm-hmm. Like, sort of this is strange, mm-hmm. like, really funny knowing look at him, like, come on. We both, mm-hmm. you know, like, you're talking to me here now. You don't, you're not trying to, this isn't me motivating and firing up you guys. You're talking to me. And the truth of the matter is that he's gone. Like he's, there's no way that he can mm-hmm. still be out there. Um, and I just think mm-hmm. this is, you know, the fact that he respects Neil so much in this exchange, he's just like deflated, done. I'm going to go sleep for a month. I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you sense any relief in that, in his ability to maybe have this weight lifted off of him? No, I think it's. I think this is where it's crippling. I feel like he's suffocating right now. This is the least Vincent Hanna we've seen him be. You know, this deflated thing mm-hmm. where all of his moves are gone. You know, I. I mm-hmm. think there might. There, the the time that there's a, a split second of relief is an upcoming moment where he's actually in the hotel, and it's before mm-hmm. he notices. You know, the unfortunate state of Lauren, where he mm-hmm. sort of looks out and appraises the city. You know, there's. I feel mm. like in that moment, there may be an opportunity for him to be centered. Like, okay, you win some, you lose some. Um, sorry mm. not to tread too much on the toes of the, the, uh, an upcoming minute, but but in this minute, I think it's what's what's good about it is that we're getting to see also like this larger than life personality. This guy's confidence, his swagger, has like been a you know, a fuel for all the people around him. Like you feed off of someone who's got a lot of energy and, and all those guys feel like, you know, even though they've had setbacks, they've had members of their team, you know, get shot down, etc. Like Vincent's like, mm-hmm. he, he's confident. So that confidence is always like, we're going to get these guys. We're going to, you know, we're going to, we're going to get justice for them. Um, but it's mm-hmm. in this moment where he's like, nope, I've, I've, I've exhausted my bag of tricks. It's done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what I find in, uh, also what I find fascinating is that through this entire sequence, um, the camera almost seems attached to attached to him by a line, as if he is completely pulling it, despite the fact that he's deflated in this moment. Yes, yeah. There's a great low angle, great that great low angle camera there that almost feels like it's attached to his body, and then behind mm-hmm. him, and mm-hmm. then attached. It's like it's still in his orbit. We're still in Vincent's orbit in this scene, very much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, there's something so sad as well about when he gets in that car, you know, that, uh, not, you know, to jump too, head, too far ahead too quickly, but when he gets in the car, he can't even start the car right. Like there's something right. about mm-hmm. there's something about that that is that is not like this guy in any other scene. Much like you know, mm-hmm. in, in stark contrast, much like Neil and Edie in complementary scenes, you know, where Neil is really controlling, and then Neil is really you know um, uh, uh, apologetic and begging for forgiveness. And it's like there's like it's the most anti-Neil that we've seen in this whole movie. And this is like anti-Vincent. You know, he's mm-hmm. even even. With Justine, when she cheats on him, he still feels like he's got agency and control. Like he's like he goes and grabs mm. his television. In fact, you know that's now sitting beside him in this car as he's trying to so ferociously start it up. But mm. it's like this this whole guy, this everything that's here or was here. Mm. Um, it's it's a deflating moment. I think it's a great moment because it gets mm. you in his headspace. It makes oh, you kind right. of believe that he's that he's going to fail. Do you feel that he's 
lost a sense of identity because so much of so much of his identity in this film has been predicated on going after Neil, going after Macaulay. Yeah, I would imagine that it's like he's built himself up. In my head, Kyle, and I wonder what you think about this too, is, you know, Vincent has seen Neil and is like, this guy's good. You know, so it's almost mm-hmm. like, you know, that old silly adage, but like, do you want a shot at the title? You know, and it's like he, mm-hmm. wants, he wants a shot at the best that he's ever gotten. And I think for Vincent in his mind, it's never in question how good he is. Like, he's like, mm-hmm. I, think I'm, I, I think I can best anyone. This guy's really good but he's not better than me. Like I'll get him. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's, you know, from someone sitting down in a truck earlier in the movie from, you know, from lots of like things that he's just slipped through his grasp instantaneously a few times. And by just happenstance, it seems like, and then now, absolutely. I think it's a, a mini identity crisis because it's like, do I, am I even as good as I ever thought I was or right, am I right. so far behind? Like he feels like he's three steps ahead, even just scenes ago. And now with all these layers of I'm ahead, I'm, I'm going to catch this guy, I've got this trap laid, I've got this trap laid, I've got traps laid all around him. He, you know, he's just, mm-hmm. there's no way he's going to escape. Um, you know, we've laid all these traps, we've given him all these touches, but I think based on his hesitation, I think he's going to, he's going to fall for one of these and he doesn't. He's like, nope, mm-hmm. I'm going to keep going and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, this is tangentially related. This is sort of related. I just watched the um, miniseries Killing Eve with Sandra Oh and Jodie Comer, and um, also a cat and mouse story. What I find um, really compelling about both this, both Heat and Killing Eve, is that so much of the goal, so much of the uh, push and pull in cat and mouse relationships, is the way in which that one is aspiring or or seeking out a ver- a best version of themselves and so this particular scene in heat is like this if what you say i want a shot at the best yes it's it's as if he has failed to aspire to that very title that very best version of his identity yes i agree because right now, like, as they are kind of these weird refracted images of themselves, it's like, literally, I can't mm. even be the best version of myself. Like, this is the person I've had most in common within the universe. And I just can't, mm-hmm. I can't, re- you know, I can't hit my potential. Mm-hmm. And I think that that theme of, like, not hitting your potential is the relatable moment in this. Like, it's, it might be cops and robbers, it might be cat and mouse, but the fact that you you literally throw everything at it and you throw everything at it despite your personal relationships and the failure is so that much more cataclysmic because you know that he has nothing left. Like in this mm-hmm, moment, mm-hmm. he literally has that cruddy TV on the side and Neil is gone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what I also, the TV falls down and uh, in the car and he <laughs> yes. doesn't pick it up or anything. No, he doesn't. It, it smashes. It, this poor little TV gets a battering in that one reverse. It like absolutely slams into the, um, into the dash in the passenger seat and like falls down and you're like, Oh God. Damn, mm-hmm. he's uh. He, there really is nothing. There is nothing. He's nothing, and he's about to toss it out of the car. Spoilers for anyone who. <laughs> uh, there's, there's, he's about to toss it out of the car. It's a great show, Killing Eve. It's a great show, much mm, to those yeah, same absolutely. themes. Absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, I really enjoyed it, and also the the first frame of this minute is a television set on the left side of Alcino. Yes. 
Yes. Almost this prescient specter. And and there's on that screen there's nothing there. It's as it's as if that is itself kind of mock, mocking him. Yeah, it's an empty inter it, like what it looks like to me is like an empty interrogation room. And so mm-hmm. it's even more sad because this interrogation room that should have some of these guys in there, it should have a Christian Hillis in there, it should have Neil McCauley in there, is just empty. And so it's like mm-hmm. we haven't ensnared them. Whatever I've been able to do, we haven't been able to make it happen. That's it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I also love the chorus. There's like a bit of a chorus of characters that are around when Vincent's making his sort of grandiose exit out of this room before he starts literally talking to Neil. Like he stops talking to anyone else and he's like talking to Neil. Um, mm-hmm. um, you know, this imaginary Neil that's in his head. Um, and he's everyone's sort of flabbergasted. Like people have got phones, like they're halfway through a conversation. Mm-hmm. They just stop. They're like, mm-hmm. wait, he's going? <laughs> like he's leaving? What do we do now? Mm-hmm. It's like, do we keep everything set up? Yep, keep it set up. But Vincent's gone. We'll decide what we're going to do tomorrow. I, I love that little uh, the little touch. Mm-hmm. And with that low angle that you have there, kind of both tracking and following um, Pacino, you ha- it kind of gives this weird expansiveness to that space as if there are much fewer people than you would expect and that he is really feels desolate and isolated yes and especially because in the frames he's not shot really with anyone until he engages with casals so he's like in this empty office when he turns around there's a few guys but he's by himself and even the camera when they frame it there's only like you know, two or three shots where people are there. Like Schwartz, I think it's at about the 23rd or 24th second of the minute for folks who are who are liking to follow along what Kyle and I are thinking about and watching at the time is like they, you know, the tracking shot from below that just shows the lights and just shows these, you know, these sort of streams, like these gateways mm-hmm. or laneways or whatever you want to call them above them. Um, you know, Casals is there and he's just walking away and there's no, like there are a bunch of, you know, there's about 10 guys on the other side that are all doing work. And, but they don't matter. What matters here mm-hmm. is Vincent. He's still talking. He's talking to Casals barely. And then by the 26th second, he's, he's talking to Neil before he then re-acknowledges the people in the space. Once he gets to the door, he's like, okay, I'm going to the hotel for a shower. And I'm going to sleep for a month. And he just walks out, you know, mm-hmm. tw- mm-hmm. you know, we've still got 20 seconds to go. And he's making his way out of this office. Finally. And it's like a little prison cell in and of itself, right? <laughs> this office that he's yeah, been stuck absolutely. in. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, and he's walking out. And everything is so symmetrical, and um, everything has such harsh angles. Yeah, and yet he seems to—he seems to not necessarily be able to control his his own placement in that space. Yeah, every everything is incongruous with him like he's got like a, mm-hmm. his hair's a bit you know he's got the flowing hair i don't know what is about 90s oversized suits they're like five sizes <laughs> too big for every character in this movie he's wearing so except for um, neil mccauley he likes it very tight and and, and tailored um but you know 90s suits flowing you know the black in these lines harsh you know um halogen lights coming down in this office everything like you said yeah that that symmetry and there seems to be like order but he's that chaos like he's this little right you know, little frenetic chaos that's in this moment and it's just out, you know, he's, but mm-hmm. he's been orchestrating all of his, all of this order from his like little chaotic position. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a, it's a funny space, right? Murder crimes, um, murder crimes unit. He's, he's in there and he walks out to his car, his poor little lonely car. 
on rewatch. Has trouble starting it. Has trouble starting it. Does a little crazy rage reverse. There's a few rage reverses in this movie for people playing at home. There's a great Christian Hairless rage reverse early in the film. Rage reverses out of his driveway in about the 20-somethingth minute. Um, and we've got Vincent now rage reversing out of his car park at work. You know, this little alone moment of control when everything's outside of his control. When rage you're... reverse could be the name of your band. <laughs> Taking that down, Rage Reverse. If I ever start a punk band, that is absolutely yeah. the number one, the number one title. If it's not the, if it's not the it band could, name, it's the first album. It could be Michael Mann inspired punk. <laughs> oh God, what would that sound like, Kyle? What would that sound it, like? It would sound like the opposite of the Tangerine Dream soundtrack, The Thief. <laughs> the complete inverse. Yeah. S- complete screeching. Just screeching. What, what do you think Heat would sound like with a punk soundtrack? Uh, I don't know. I think it would be it would be one of those. Um, it'd be super grating because, like, when you think of mm. Heat, there's sort of an organic, you know, fury. I feel like um, much like John Williams scores individual characters, you know, the Luke Skywalker theme mm. and the Ray theme and things like Star Wars. I think the punk band theme would be like everything that Vincent's doing. Like everything mm-hmm. that, or, or everything that Wayne Grow does, like, you know, and just to really, you know, show your hand to the audience that he's the bad guy. You'd have like this gnarly punk rah, theme every time that he's on sort of undercurrent of all of that. I don't know what a whole punk heat soundtrack would sound mm. like. I think you, I think it would be too relentless to bear because you've already, you know, two hours yeah. and 50 odd minutes into a, mo- you know, 50 minutes into a movie. By the end of it, you'd just, you'd faint. It would just be too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean... As as fun as it is as a thought, thought experiment, I think it would very much take away from the kind of subtle beauty of this film. What I I don't know how often other people think about the score to this film, but it works just so gorgeously in in terms of pulling you into the, even small scenes like this. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Because you, also, you know, you're you're aware of it. You're Kyle's, a, you know, a cinephile of, of, of the highest regard and a great uh, observer of m- different movies and moods and themes, and you can see that in any of his writing. And it's just like so many movies are... Um, so many movies feel like they needle drop a little bit too much or mm. are too manipulative. Yeah, so it's like one is there's a great talent for a needle drop in a movie for it to really work, and there's also a great talent to have, like, themes and to be, you know, to, to really engage and try and... Um, uh, sort of like exponentially make increase the power of the emotions that they're trying to convey through the characters. But I think the, mm. the cool thing with Heat in a lot of ways, whether it's character, whether it's expanded moments, whether it's music, is the restraint to not go mm. full tilt. And when they do, mm. it's when 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 the music is really pronounced or it's really intense it's um it's a it's a really deft choice and i think about that a lot with the heist theme with like the frenetic pace of that early music just keeping your heart ready up before the gunfire Mm. happens that's such a great choice um Mm. uh, that that holds really true i i was kind of thinking um of the music that's used um right as ashley judd is kind of going out onto the balcony and she sees Val Kilmer, and that is just sort of ah beautiful it's so magnetic beautiful in in like in a horrible world in which there's a heat musical, a jukebox musical, <laughs> in the style of Mamma Mia, what <laughs> artist do you think would best represent like a heat musical? In the style of Mamma Mia, oh my god. Um 
Can I say Jackson Maine? Um, no, I can't. He doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't exist. Um, that's my answer. I want Lady Gaga to do this. If we're gonna go grand, let's go grand and make Charlene Chahelis Lady Gaga. You know, okay. you know, if we're talking uh-huh. about that grandiose moment, and she's got, you know, uh-huh. get get that early little monster Gaga out there with some, you know, frenetic electronic beats, not less Joanne. Amazing. But if she needs to be Joanne, you know, she can just be the kind of muse. Um, that's in the corner. What are they called? Like the little uh, sort of uh, the sort of coral aside that's underscoring things and sort of the the narrator as well as character. I think that would be great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm into it. I'm very into it. <laughs> because yeah, yeah I, I, would... I, just, I can't find a space for Adina Menzel um, in here. Maybe she could be. <laughs> maybe she could be Justine. I'm not sure. All the all the female powerhouses need like incredible voices who've been the leads in other you know big musical. Big musical right, things, right. but yeah, you know, get, get but that I don't know. I, I don't know if I want people to say the person who was in Wicked <laughs> was Justine and calling her Wicked because I don't want that for Justine. But you know, I think that I think we'd. Have you got any suggestions? Who Who are your thoughts? Um, let me think. What if Celine Dion <laughs> for Justine? Oh, Celine Dion for Justine. Tell you what, some of that florid dialogue. That rehearsed mm-hmm. angry fights would just be superb in her uh, French Canadian English accent. It would be tremendous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so Bradley Cooper for Macaulay or Hannah? Oh, maybe for both. Could he play both? <laughs> just get him, get him out there in I... the goatee. Get him out there in the <laughs> goatee in in some scenes, and then take it off and uh, and have that. That just sounds so exhausting. <laughs> It does. It absolutely does. No, um, I don't know. Like, who you, you know, isn't the dream casting? And I don't know if either of these guys can sing. But the dream casting, you know, if you were casting a young heat, you know, just purely for for the actors and the talent, you'd say, oh, why not Oscar Isaac for Pacino? You know, he's now, oh yeah, he can sing. He, yeah. If he can sing, so great. You'd you'd throw Oscar Isaac in there. And does John Bernthal sing? Because I'd be like John Bernthal for De Niro. I don't know. But I don't know about him. If he doesn't, then but, throw Bradley Cooper. You know they've done lot, De Niro and Cooper have done lots of movies. They could, uh, mm-hmm. you know, if it's if it's a battle of it's a battle of singing. Um, I would happily mm-hmm. watch Bradley Cooper across from Oscar Isaac. I think that's a that's a fun yeah. coffee. That's a that's the greatest coffee shop scene of all time. Oscar Isaac just did a concert at um, Lincoln Center on the Upper West Side in Manhattan. Really? Um, and he did he he did like. Um, it's part of Lincoln Center's uh, Great American Songbook series, and they invite like different artists to perform. And I think he did a mix of um, traditional songs um, as well as new pop hits as well. I did not go, but I, I wish. Oh. But I would definitely, I would, I would watch him. I would definitely watch him in a heat musical. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, if any, it, it, please, Oscar Bradley. Lady, <laughs> Celine, <laughs> Adina, if you're listening to the show, and we know that you do, um, please get in touch because, you know, I mean, Kyle's on the ground in New York, so I, I'm sure, I'm absolutely sure that we can make this happen. We've got some I good ideas. I will chase after them. <laughs> oh, look, if, if, if the outcome of this show was a heat musical, I would be very happy. I would be that would be, that would be a very I feel very accomplished that if if it gestated on this show and then it became a thing it would be amazing absolutely amazing if it became a thing and when Lady Gaga wins her Tony Award <laughs> on her way to her EGOT she would have to thank you in her speech <laughs> well 
One can only hope to be thanked by Lady Gaga. Look, you know, there's one person I have to thank, or there's two people I have to thank. I just, you know, it's so crazy that this idea came up in a podcast, um, and uh, and uh, <laughs> and, I, and I just have to thank Carl Turner, and I have to thank Blake <laughs> Howard. I mean, that would be a dream come true for both of us, surely, to be mentioned in any award-winning yeah. speech. It would it would be truly um, the the highest honor. Besides being here now with you. <laughs> I think we'd both have to have it gift and added to our profiles, you know, our Twitter profile for, for, mm-hmm. for forever. Mm-hmm. That would just be your display pick forever. You know, this is my resume. Mm-hmm. Lady Gaga mentioned me in a win for a speech. Mm-hmm. This is on my special skills. Every employer would know that. <laughs> it would be in my cover letter. <laughs> uh, on the cover letter. That, now, that is pride of place. That is pride of place. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like, also just to, to, to re-qualify, if, if it is, I'm not talking Bradley Cooper. If, if we can possibly make it Jackson Maine and not Bradley Cooper as the Neil McCauley, mm-hmm. would, I think that's a good, mm-hmm. that's a good delineation. Because I think lots of people love Jackson Maine, but they don't necessarily right. love. They don't necessarily love Bradley Cooper. That's fair. And I believe, so I, I totally believe that Oscar Isaac could could do Hannah like but in this scene as well because he did like this four hour version of Hamlet because Hamlet when normally performed is is abridged in some way they usually cut it um, down by uh, maybe a half hour hour depending on uh, the production but this was like a complete version of Hamlet and he has the stamina to do something like this he has the stamina to say bon voyage motherfucker <laughs> and to say bang and to do those sorts of things. I mean, he was in a yeah. mo- in mm-hmm. a most violent year, which is a terrific mm-hmm. film. He the whole time you're just going, God, he's got that Pacino- he's got that Pacino energy. He's got that energy. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he's tall. He's you know, a little bit taller. You know, he's 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 starting a little bit later um, in his career. You know, as opposed to you know fresh faced. You know, long time ago mm-hmm. we saw him in smaller things, but now he's getting big roles, and it's like God, he's got that energy. He's got that. Uh, sure. That that bravado, but I didn't know he did. Ha- God, Hamlet's he's, isn't that his long- Shakespeare's longest play, right? I'm I'm not wrong. I about believe that. so. Yeah, his longest continuous play because I think there's a couple that are in in multiple parts that technically are longer, but Hamlet as a single play, wow, mm-hmm. four hours. He throws lasagna at one point. <laughs> Outstanding. And I hope that got a minute. Were you reviewing it at all? No, no, I didn't get to see it, but I, I um, friends went to see it, and they oh. were telling me that there is a scene, um, I think, towards the end as he's going mad, um, where he throws lasagna, and he's like in nothing but a, a cardigan. Fantastic! That's that if, yeah. that. if that's not an audition for the Heat musical, I don't know what is. Right, right. <laughs> what music do you think they would use as a jukebox musical? Like what artists? <sighs> hmm. You know, I want to like, um, if they were if they were doing like big needle drop moments, I'd want to say like, and and you know, may he rest in peace, Chris Cornell. But like, I think that Audio Slave music mm-hmm. is going to come into it because you know Michael Mann uses it in a couple of films later. He uses it for Collateral and he uses it for Miami Vice. Mm-hmm. So I feel like to sort of have some anchoring, you know, contemporary stuff, they might have it there. You you would think that you would think that they'd, they'd probably remaster some Tangerine Dream in there. Surely, just even right. in like the mm-hmm. uh, for intermission music, you know, a bit right. of remastered mm-hmm. Tangerine Dream. Yeah, I don't know. Who who are you thinking? Who are you thinking? Something says Nine Inch Nails for some yes, reason. For sure, for sure. Great call. Yeah, I think I think you could have like a really great set piece 
musical set piece of the LA of the downtown LA shootout to to a Nine Inch Nails song. Agreed. Maybe closer to God. Oh, I don't know. That's that would be amazing. That would be amazing. I'm imagining Radiohead. Yeah, Radiohead definitely. I think some sort of um, uh, like uh, later Radiohead. There's a great song called Videotape on. Um, oh, what album is it? It's. I think it might be King of Limbs or the album before uh-huh. that. Um, there's a great song called Videotape, and it's got this like really tragic piano, and I can feel like there's a there's an Oscar Isaac. Um, you know, there's an Oscar Isaac solo in it for in that scene where Neil and um, Neil and Vincent look at each other through the television screens. You know, they're looking at each mm-hmm. other there, and someone tragically presses on it. I think there's a remix of Videotape in there where he tragically loses Neil for that moment, and then he gets back to the mm-hmm. show. You know, there's a there's a solo mm-hmm. in that for sure. Mm-hmm. New order, new order, new order for sure. But I want to say, like, I want a really, um, I want a really sort of slick. You know, who's who's Danny Trejo going to sing? You know, like I want, I want to know what what's what musical moment Danny Trejo's character is going to get in this movie. I think you still right. have to cast Danny Trejo, like in the music. Yeah, absolutely. He, yeah, <laughs> he's indelible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No one else could be him. <laughs> no, we need him in the movie. And uh, we need him in the musical too, and maybe like a Tony Bennett number, like Danny Trejo's uh-huh. gravelly voice, just really writ large. Find whatever Tony ba- uh, Tony Bennett um, soloed with Gaga, so that at that yes. uh, at the convention, you know, where they're all the crooks there having dinner together, they can maybe, you know, you can bounce some ideas off of one another. This is fun. Let's do this. Yeah, yeah, Let's- I I agree. Tony Bennett would be like a, a good choice for Trejo. Yeah, that's a good one. That's There's good something. One. There's what what's fun about that is there's a um when you look at Danny Trejo's face it kind of looks like the Grand Canyon or something. <laughs> yes. Yes it does. It has like it's such a storied history and so does Tony Bennett's career and I think th- there's also this fun friction between what you think Danny Trejo uh is is capable of and then what the song is capable of. And I think that when people are watching this heat musical and they're seeing all these amazing actors and performers, it's just going to be hilarious. A nice little moment of like reprieve to see Danny Trejo as, as Danny Trejo in this movie. Like, I just think it's important to mm-hmm. make sure we anchor it into, it's not getting too serious. I want to know who you recommend for Tom Sizemore's character. You know, the action is the juice. Who's the action is the juice. What's, what's the number that goes around the action is the juice for the heat musical. Um, The Edge of Glory by Lady Gaga. <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! I I I, I genuinely hope that people uh, were enjoyed us um enjoyed us talking and examining the minute itself. But I've had so much fun. I, I think I'm, I'm having too much fun talking about a prospective heat musical that I've just completely lost in that now. <laughs> I just don't know if there's a way back. I could talk to Kyle for five hours. I'm sorry hours. for derailing you. I know that is, is, to- is totally fine. I could literally talk for five hours more about a heat musical. Uh, I haven't ever been able to do the heat recast because I just don't think that this movie, don't think this, this movie gets made these days. Like whenever you think about, trying to recast it um i just don't think it gets made it's really tough like a musical is much more fun to talk about because it's like you know you feel like if they were remaking it as a musical the difference of the medium could be silly and fun and whatever 
but I just don't think it gets so it's a real tough thing when people are like what well, do you think it's going to get remade ever or could they do it as a series I'm like I kind of don't want to see it I just don't think right. that it I don't I don't think that it that the potency of a 3 hour drama um in this format um I just don't think that it will, could I think it'd be a real feat for it to carry through consistently in a six episode, even six to eight episode, like HBO, you know, high quality series, because it's just like, does it get, does it lay, does it belabor points? You know, does it take too long? Mm. And there's something about the efficiency of, even though it's a quite a long film, but that it's over, that it ends. I just, I don't know. I don't know. And I don't think the emotional integrity would necessarily still be there if it were to be remade, by someone else, even by Michael Mann, I think his style has evolved and changed over time, and he can keeps tinkering with his older films. But um, I, not to say that he isn't capable of making um, exceptional work still, but that his style has changed. And I, um, if someone else took it over, um, I don't think they'd be able to get that very fine, delicate balance between this, this male-based melodrama and uh, this intense provocation in, in um introspective violence so to speak yeah and and i think it's like you're so right about it. it's a time and place as well it's a it's a confluence of when you think about casting directors and picking the perfect people for that perfect role and it's also what they drag into it from their career you know mm-hmm. you know the, these are this is uh, De Niro still on a, a great run. Pacino only recently really coming back into acting just prior to sort of, you know, getting Oscars for things that people, you know, in reflection go that totally didn't deserve an Oscar, but six of his other career best performances just never were even recognized at the time that their, you know, influence and their significance. I think it's like you got to bring the baggage of all the people that are involved as well that can help elevate it. Cause it's like, mm-hmm. there's a, there's a real tight control that man has, but then there's also when he relinquishes that, control because it's the control of the preparation he lets the actors do their work he finds some Mm -hmm. great stuff like these all of these performers are so ready for this movie in 95 too Mm -hmm. like everyone's on the up you know kilmer's on the up ashley judd's on the up all these other great character actors are doing some of their best work catapults them into other stuff emerging actors come in and do good work and then these two right at the pinnacle at the top you know the number ones on the call sheet um are just in it because like vincent and neil um, they're in they're in competition with one another mm-hmm. for supremacy in in a in a strange way. Do you see Michael Mann um, creating a film that is most complementary to Heat? Um, like a spiritual successor, as it were, if not a direct sequel. Yeah, it's. I think he's been essaying this theme um, in in a number of films. I think it's like he looks at it in Miami Vice where he takes kind of the two partners that become reflections of different approaches, like completely different approaches to professionalism. Mm-hmm. And and he, he literally, you know, pairs them up. You know, these guys, one dies and one lives um, in, in the other's embrace at the end of this film. And I think he essays it in Miami Vice. I think he essays it in complete inversion in, in Public Enemies, you know, um, where John mm-hmm. Dillinger is a, is the 180 of Neil Macaulay. You know, he becomes like Vincent, mm-hmm. like the bravado is there. He's a showboat. You know, he does have his introspection and he does have his, his process, but he's like, I'm here for, a, you know, a good time, not a long time sort of thing. So it's that complete inversion. And then you get Melvin Purvis, um, played by Christian Bale, who's like literally the most boring cop, you know, ever portrayed. You know, he's just pure, mm-hmm. pure procedure. 
pure that he, mm-hmm. he, he doesn't have he, he he doesn't get emotionally invested it's an object it's a, there's a you know a stringent objectivity to what he's doing and so you get these kind of mm-hmm. weird um that weird inverse at the same time and um and then i think then he goes when he when he does a, a 180 and goes around to like black hat he's still he's still trying to find the place of these like analog He's trying to find the place of like analog crooks and sort of those analog effects of like the physical um, impacts of prison onto one's psyche and put it into mm-hmm. a digital world. He's like, there's still mm-hmm. people in prison, you know, still people go to prison and still suffer the psychological trauma. Um, and how to, how does it, how, how does who they are then impact and blow into this new century? You know, how does, how does what mm-hmm. happens if these people get out and, and can start mm-hmm. manipulating you know, manipulating stock, manipulating money, manipulating futures. You know, um, um, you know, with keyboards as opposed to, as opposed to guns. So I think, yeah, I think it's a great sort of essay topic that he keeps re- revisiting in in micro ways, um, and he mm-hmm. does sort of drag elements of character into other portrayals. Like, you know, if you look at, I think Tom Cruise and Robert De Niro definitely went to the same. You know. They they definitely went to the same stylist, right? For, between collateral uh, yeah. and heat, like they mm. are mirrors of one another. Same suit, same shirt, you know, same haircut, you know, only slightly different facial hair. But there's the same ethos there. So I think yeah, it's like it's continually essayed in his stuff. I think it's such a good point of of heat, public enemies, and black hat because you have. Heat, which is very much of the 90s, it uses that technology, it uses those methods to map out the psychological interiority of those characters. Um, and then you have Public Enemies, which uh, is very much rooted, um, it's a period piece, but it, it uses digital technology almost as this revisionist way of examining what could have happened if we had had this technology, What what kind of index could have been created by documenting this and then you have black hat which is then end up being the the complement to both of them because that is very much rooted in in the now as you were saying um in these digital technologies and kind of reconciling the way in which um there are still prisons there's still trauma but they exist in different in different forms um so i think there's this Public enemies is almost like a, a a center, and they and heat and black hair kind of ping pong off one another. Yeah, I think I think it's happened throughout his career. You know, it's like thief. Uh, I think like Jericho Mile and Thief are almost like have the same relationship as Black Hat and Public Enemies. Like they have this weird mm-hmm. connection. It's like expressions of troubled people who get institutionalized and then have to deal with what it's like for freedom and and in in some states it's like controlled controlled freedom you get to live in prison but you get to do what you want and the other state you know because potentially you you might have some value external to prison that you're not aware of and then you know with thief it's like i'm out i've learned how to do this i'm the best and and contending with forces that you've you've got there and then he does bounce around but i think like heat is like this i don't know like heat has like this gravitational pull where all these ideas Miami Vice, Crime Story, all these other movies that he's essayed, it feels like the, the the clarity and the synthesis of like this moment in time, these actors, the amount of years that he'd been working, the form as opposed to like LA Takedown, which is the telly movie sort of draft of this, as opposed mm-hmm. to that, it's it's like it just seems to 
encapsulate all those things. And I think exactly you're approaching, you know, the way that we're discussing Blackout and the way that we're discussing um, Public Enemies um, and the way I've discussed it with people like Niall Schwartz who wrote a wonderful um, book about, you know, uh, about Public Enemies is you've got – they're good to sort of see what how much further they're trying to challenge this theme and like in both and, – and in for, formally is so important to that. Like you said, like, you know, this, in, I love how you said indexing, you know, this time and reappraising it. And the digital technology makes us reframe, you know, infamy because we still have those. We've got icons of infamy right now. They just happen at different political levels mm-hmm. or celebrity levels or, you know, actual mm-hmm. criminality. But it's like infamy is a great essay topic for our modern age, too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, look, guys, I think that's the perfect spot to pause and to say a huge thank you to my guest, Kyle Turner, for being an amazing guest on One Heat Minute. We've sort of had some bookends of intellectual discussion with a great vacation off to one of the most wonderful, um, you know, let's imagine and let's play what a heat musical looks like ever. So this has been an absolute thrill of an episode for me um, in many ways. So, Kyle, thank you so much for being a part of the show and and for coming back. Thank you so much for having me again. This was so much fun. Excellent. Guys, um, if you want to, and, and I know and you need to, um, if you want to follow Kyle on Twitter, it is Tile Kerner, at, um, at Tile Kerner. So not Kyle Turner, Tile Kerner. Um, and you can follow Kyle on, uh, he's got a, a tilekerner at um, and you can follow all of his stuff there. That's the best place that you can find him. Um, I've been Blake Howard, at Blake is Batman on Twitter, but you don't need to do that. You need to go on Twitter. If you're not on Twitter, oneheatminute.com. We are everywhere for the podcast, Spotify, iTunes, all places for good podcasts you can find us. Um, It's been an absolute pleasure again talking to you guys. 141st episode down, literally 25 minutes to go until credits on this thing. So thank you, Garth Franklin, our web design, Paul Davies for our music, and we'll catch you on another episode, a one-hit minute just around the corner. And remember, if Kyle and I are in Gaga's speech, you heard it here first. (laughs) 